Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. The Pennsylvania Department of Corrections has agreed to pay $1.5 million to the family of an asthmatic Philadelphia man who died after pepper spray was used on him at a state prison nearly two years ago. The agreement filed Tuesday in federal court in western Pennsylvania in the lawsuit filed by the family of 29-year-old Tyrone Briggs also includes a pledge by the department to implement new protocols on the use of pepper spray. Briggs was doused in the face with prolonged streams of pepper spray at the State Correctional Institution in Mahanoy in November 2019. After being heard saying he couldn't breathe, he struggled on a slow walk to the infirmary and waited a half hour for treatment, but was only given an inhaler. Taken to a solitary confinement cell, he soon collapsed and died. Thirteen staff members were suspended, and while details of a subsequent disciplinary action by the department have not been released, Press Secretary Maria Bivens said, quote, Involved security and medical staff members receive discipline up to and including termination, end quote. After the use of pepper spray was authorized in federal prisons in 2016, state lawmakers passed a law requiring that all state corrections officers be issued pepper spray. Purchase orders indicate that the department has pepper balls, projectiles, fogging devices, and crowd control sprays. Abolitionist Law Center lawyer Brett Grote said, Prison policy already bars pepper spray use on people with asthma during planned incidents such as cell extractions. In the future, he said, all staff will receive training on how pepper spray affects people with respiratory conditions, and anyone with such a condition subjected to it must have their oxygen levels measured and be removed by the chief medical official on duty. Three years ago on KiteLine, we aired an episode about the Attica Prison Uprising of 1971. This week, September 9th to September 13th, will mark 50 years between us and the event. We share this piece again today, with updated contributions from its author, analyzing the growing challenges to survival both inside and outside the prisons. What the author calls the commune, the enduring forms of collectivity and care developed through rebellion, is for her the best chance we have for collective survival, given economic decline, escalating white supremacy, and ecological crisis. We're grateful for the contribution of this incisive new introduction. Quote, In our 2018 episode, we grounded the discussion in a Frederick Zhevsky song entitled Attica that uses the words of Richard X. Clark, participant in the uprising who was eventually pardoned and released. The story goes that a reporter chased down a car taxiing Clark from Attica to New York City after his release, and leaned into the car to ask, how does it feel to put Attica behind you? The prison was barely visible in the rearview mirror when Clark replied, Attica is in front of us. So what does it mean now that we've lived through the time period in front of Attica, both in its most optimistic sense and its most pessimistic sense of what Attica was, the commune established by prison rebels and the brutal repression carried out by the state, respectively? For one, it means the prison population in America has increased by 700%, a staggering 2.3 million people are in jail and prison today compared to 1971, 
far outpacing population growth and crime. This episode discusses the events around the world from 67 to 71, the ferment of 68, the death of Martin Luther King Jr. and George Jackson. These produced a politically motivated prison population wherein arrested revolutionaries were linking the mood in the streets with organizations and publications behind the walls. And now, 50 years later, we've seen the movement for Black Lives and the George Floyd uprising. Is this what Clark meant when he said Attica is in front of us? Were 2020's events a continuation of past rebellions? Can we expect a similar flow of ideas and energies between the streets and the prisons? Current events suggest such ferment is growing. In the midst of the COVID-19 crisis, there was a prison strike wave, beginning with hunger strikes in ICE detention centers and prisons in March 2020, that spread from New Jersey across the country and continued unabated into the present. Jailhouse lawyers speak have drawn on the ferment of 1971 in their calls to shut down the prisons once again on this 50th anniversary of Attica. Last year, during the George Floyd uprising, a Washington Post journalist asked participants in the riots of Kenosha, Wisconsin, that ended in a deadly shooting, a similar question that was asked to Richard X. Clark. Why are you here? Every hotel room in Kenosha was booked that night. On top of that, not only were the hotel rooms full, but the beds and all the carpet space around them, too. Summer insurgents recognized each other from Minneapolis, Chicago, and Louisville. Gathering informally in the parking lots of the hotels, or at the emotional vigil the following night, the idea of collective survival was the loudest theme. They are killing us, and we have to fight together. The fragility of our lives, the proximity to death that the last 50 years of economic decline and its defender, the carceral state, adds to the political consciousness of this new composite. To stare it down and to say that you don't want to die out loud is perhaps something like what Clark imagined as the optimistic side of his statement that Attica was in front of us. The commune, whether in Attica or in the hotels of Kenosha, is about being possessed by something outside of yourself, then redeemed by the new forces which emerge from within yourself. The feeling of commitment, going between participants in these communes to survive, raises a new, sharper question to everybody else. Why are you not here? The conditions of Attica guaranteed that fighting back was the only answer. The conditions of our present, ever more deadly hurricanes, daily police violence, deadly failures to respond to health crises, also make radical action a necessity. To have fundamental desires for yourself and your life go unheard and unrealized changes the mood of a population. Then to risk oneself to change this deaf society and then to lose to the cops and the guards has physiological and mental effects on participants. An uprising isn't really an overcoming, is it? And as of yet, it is not the means to survival we hoped it would be. Police batons swinging, stun grenades exploding, rubber bullets firing straight into eyes, tear gas raining down. In Philadelphia alone, there were over 200 arrests in 48 hours, and in total over the summer, around 14,000 people were detained, which only adds to the baseline, the 700% increase in incarceration, but may be adding to future rebellions as well. With the dual reality of Attica, increased repression and imprisonment, but also a taste of the commune, what do you want to risk ourselves in next time? What do we want those risks to produce? Unquote. For many Americans, 1971 was a year of great prosperity and joyous possibility. But Asha Bendale explains in a 2011 article, after the Attica uprising, that many Americans felt another kind of possibility, the possibility of revolutionary change. 
She says that to fully understand the Prisoner's Rebellion at Attica 40 years ago, which is the theme of this week's KiteLine episode, you have to understand what she calls the Dickensian complexity of 1971. Bendale writes, quote, It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. We were a nation of hope with the possibility of revolutionary change within our grasp. Reverend Jesse Jackson's Operation Push was born that year. Thirteen Democrats, with imaginations shaped as much by their own dreams as the Black Power and Civil Rights Movements, founded the Congressional Black Caucus. Broad swaths of the American citizenry felt empowered enough to stand up against the unjust government policies. Sixty percent of the electorate opposed the Vietnam War. I was born by the river In a little tent Oh, and just like the river I've been running Ever since It's been a long A long time coming But I know A change gonna come Sam Cooke's A Change Is Gonna Come was more than a beautiful song. It was a soundtrack that nourished the spirit of a movement. This was the best of 1971, its unmitigated hope. What that change would be and who would be included was shattered on the rainy morning of September 13th when the Attica uprising was put down by deadly force. The siege on Attica that left 41 men and 10 guards dead was filmed by TV cameras for the whole world to see. It would be an understatement to say the impact reverberates through society, and as Richard X. Clarke would say, Attica is in front of us. Attica. For the next five minutes, Polish composer Frederick Jeski will chant in his signature, progressively additive style, Attica is in front of us. What Richard X. Clark was getting at with those words, simply put, is that Attica was not an event. It is a movement. We start this episode of KiteLine with this song to highlight how the 1971 Attica prison uprising broke through the whole purpose of prisons in themselves, a system of social control. A prison can fulfill this purpose only by reducing prisoners to active accomplices or passive recipients of their own oppression. The organizing of the Attica Liberation Faction and the time between September 9th and September 13th, 1971, was a time when that purpose was briefly suspended. The prisoners at Attica refused to be passive recipients of their own oppression by locking away power and reorganizing life in its absence. The Attica Liberation Front cooked, wrote, negotiated, and made decisions together as a unified force. While the prison was under siege, the men inside took on new roles, organized across race, religion, and gang lines, met their reproductive needs without guards and bosses, 
and from all reports it was a time, albeit tense, of great joy. In turn, their resistance posed a serious threat to the prison, and thus threatens the entire society as well. This is evidenced poetically in a letter from Sam Melville, who was an inmate at Attica Prison, and alongside Elliot Barclay and Tommy Hicks, he is said to be one of the leaders of Attica Liberation Faction. Melville was a typical Attica prisoner. He had been transferred there for trying to escape his prior custody. An ex-Weather Underground and Black Panther ally, once at Attica he started fighting, as he had done on the outside. His publication, Iced Pig, was a personal project, but in a series of events leading up to the uprising, it swiftly transformed into a collective tool for the Attica Liberation Front. He gave voice and representation to the prison population who were already fighting the state for better conditions. His letter describing this period of activity is read over another Frederick Jeffsky piece from 1972. I think a combination of age and a greater coming together is responsible for the speed of the passing time. I think the combination of age and the greater coming together is responsible for the speed of the passing time. It's six months now, and I can tell you, truthfully, few periods in my life have passed so quickly. Sam Melville was killed during the uprising shortly after writing this letter. A week after the massacre, prisoners at Attica smuggled out a statement discussing the revolt and placing it in the context of a revolutionary struggle against American capitalism. It concluded, quote, These brothers whose lives were taken by Rockefeller and his agents did not die in vain. Why? Because the uprising at Attica did not begin here, nor will it end here. Unquote. So, Let's look at the nature of the Attica prison strike and see if we can find the present-day prisoners' movement within the legacy of those actions. In doing so, we'll hold the actions of the 41 men who lost their lives during the uprising close to those struggling today. The principal leaders of the revolutionary upheavals of the 1960s and 70s were black prisoners and black freedom fighters. During that period, and at Attica in particular, there was a major shift change from the prison riots so widespread during the 1950s. Over 50 major riots occurred in American prisons between 1950 and 1953. A typical riot in the 1950s started when two prisoners overtook a guard, stole his keys, then let out all the maximum security prisoners. In the 1960s, the Nation of Islam started organizing in prisons across the country. For many reasons, Nation of Islam organizing transformed into a broader political movement. By the end of that era, the Black Panthers, or other advocates of black power, gave rise to an articulate struggle behind bars. Frantz Fanon, writing in 1963, expressed that some form of violence represents the only means by which an enslaved person can reclaim her or his humanity from the violence of oppression. 
This became a given to political action in and out of prison at the time. Black power groups allied with the anti-imperialist movement and third world liberation groups fighting against the war in Vietnam, military interventions in Latin America, Africa, and police violence in the American ghettos. As activism became more militant, so did the legal system, and many activists and revolutionary leaders found themselves behind bars with charges designed to break their spirit for life. By 1971, former President Nixon's war on drugs had taken siege of city streets. That war is the main reason Attica's prison populations was 60% black and Latino who found themselves among white anti-imperialists in opposition to capitalism and Indochina war, Puerto Ricans fighting for independence. Networks of radicals from third world movements across the globe were linked into prisons through these arrests. The prison movement was at once urban and international. In contrast, the guards of upstate New York were white. Prisoners were regularly subject to race-based attacks. Guards used racial discrimination as a tool of social control. Here's former Attica prisoner Carlos Roche. I went to Attica in 1966 and was there through to September 16th, 71. That was the first time I was confronted with overt racism. The administration, the police, created situations to keep the black guys against the white guys, the white guys against the Spanish guys, and the Spanish guys against the black guys. You know, and uh, as long as they, you know, created division, they were able to control the joint. It was just a, a volatile, repressive society, you know. You, it's, it's, it, it remained a powder keg, you know. But it just so happened it took 71, uh, September the 9th, to explode. John Pallas and Bob Barber summarize the atmosphere of years leading up to Attica. Quote, the situation at San Quentin Prison in California provides a model for the changing nature of revolt during this time of transition. In January 1967, a riot broke out involving nearly half the prison's 4,000 prisoners, resulting in cautious attempts at reconciliation by prison leaders. The self-defeating nature of such violence was acknowledged and truces arranged between various black and white groups. An underground newspaper called The Outlaw began publication. It attacked the prison system and called for unity among the newspapers. Within a year, open racial hostility had nearly ended, and a united general strike in early 1968 caused the shutdown of nearly all the prison industries. At this point, officials moved to break up the incipient organizing by transferring suspected leaders to other prisons and increasing the general harassment of everyone. The facilities of the outlaw were discovered, although the paper continued to be occasionally published outside and smuggled in. Within the next month, revolts broke out in the California prison system at Soledad, Folsom, and San Luis Obispo prisons. The Folsom work stoppage of November 1971 was the longest and most nonviolent prison strike in the history of the country. Nearly all 2,400 prisoners held out in their own cells for 19 days in the face of constant hunger and discomfort and continued psychological and physical intimidation. 
they issued a 31-point Manifesto of Demands and Anti-Oppression Platform, labeling prisons the, quote, fascist concentration camps of modern America, unquote, and calling for an end to the injustice suffered by all prisoners regardless of race, creed, or color. The demands focused on the denial of political and legal rights to prisoners and the exploitation involved in the work programs inside the prison. Prison riots as micro-revolutions, an extension of state-centered theories of revolution, says, quote, The New York Department of Corrections in 1970 and 1971 attempted to enact a liberal prison policy, but was hamstrung on the one hand by budgetary constraints, and on the other by the intransigence of the custodial staff, which successfully resisted these changes, unquote. Also, a federal court had ruled in 1970 that prison procedures violated prisoners' rights of due process. A new commissioner of corrections for the state, Russell Oswald, appointed January 1, 1971, repeatedly promised Attica inmates that reforms would be forthcoming. But Oswald was frustrated by staff resistance and lack of funds, so most of the promised reforms were never implemented. The budget crunch also created a staff shortage at Attica, such that routine inspections were reduced and faulty gates, which later failed, were not detected. This was the environment during the hot summer of 1971. On August 21st, Black Panther Party Field Marshal George Jackson was murdered in San Quentin Prison. Guards reported that he was trying to escape. The piece, after the Attica uprising, says, quote, Jackson's seminal work, Soledad Brother, a collection of prison letters published the year before, had firmly planted him in the seat of the hearts of people the world over, but with no group more so than America's prisoners. The next day, at Attica, the response to Jackson's death was a silent prayer and fast. 800 men, African American, Latino, and white, arrived for the first shift at the mess hall, all wearing black somewhere on their clothing, and sat in silence, refusing to eat. The staff knew something was brewing. Jackson's death has sparked uprisings in other prisons, but Attica, with its fortress-like construction, seemed to an arrogant administration to be immune to such unrest, unquote. Prisoners are often very limited in the forms of protest they can do. That little action taken after the assassination of George Jackson was a simple victory, but one that brought the inmates closer together. A month later, a prisoner hit a guard. The authorities blamed the wrong guy, and everybody knew it. An already generalized mistrust in the staff of Attica hit a boiling point. On September 9th, 1,200 people worked together to constrain the 38 guards. They read out the demands for basic human rights they thought they were already promised by Oswald. The demands of Attica reflect the international movement of the time. They were demanding their power, their validity in the face of a wider injustice. In a death penalty state, Amnesty after the riot was over was the most important demand to them. In the days that followed, the Attica Liberation Front demonstrated above all else that the strategy of unity was not just ideologically important, but a concrete manifestation of its practicality for revolutionary victory. The Front lived by its slogan, The Solution is Unity. All reports indicate that there was complete racial harmony in the yard. Journalist Tom Wicker, a member of the Observer's Committee, noted, quote, The racial harmony that prevailed among the prisoners, it was absolutely astonishing. That prison yard was the first place I have ever seen where there was no racism, unquote. 
As George Jackson concluded, quote, only the prison movement has shown any promise of cutting across the ideological, racial, and cultural barricades that have blocked the natural coalition of left-wing forces at all times in the past. So this movement must be used to provide an example for the partisans engaged at other levels of struggle, unquote. Here's ex-Attica prisoner Joseph Jazz Hayden. After that, they made concessions, as they always do. And before long, they took them back because they weren't rights given. No rights were given, only privileges. After the Attica uprising also has this passage. It was raining the morning of September 13th, Bobby Harrison recalls over the phone on another rainy day 40 years later, standing beside his mother's graveside. Every time it rains, I'm right back there. Helicopters now buzzed overhead. State troopers and guards from Attica and other prisons were positioned on rooftops with all manner of firepower. Machine guns, big game rifles, shotguns. Then, without warning, the shooting began. The bullets as indiscriminate as the expanding cloud of poison. It lasted about seven minutes. Men were being picked off, Bobby Harrison says, his voice rising. A friend of Harrison's named L.D. Barkley who had been very vocal on the bullhorn the leaders used to address the crowd, and who was in Attica for a minor parole violation on a previous charge of forging a check, was shot 15 times at point-blank range. Smith and Noble were shot multiple times, but survived. In the end, 10 guards and 29 prisoners died on the morning of September 13, 1971. Another four people died under uncertain circumstances over the course of the previous days. Early reports blamed the hostage deaths on the prisoners, saying they slashed the guards' throats. But every autopsy would determine that to a man, all the victims were killed by gunfire ordered by the state of New York. After the attack, prisoners were made to lie face down in mud and feces. They crawled from D yard to A yard, where they were forced to make their way through a gauntlet of guards who beat them with anything they had. Inside the cell blocks, guards had littered the floor with broken bottles. Prisoners walked if they could, and if not, they were made to crawl, on top of the glass, and then were shoved into the six-by-nine-foot cells. Albert Victory remembers being in a cell with ten other men. He says, For most of us, our gunshot wounds went initially untreated. Some of us were taken to the hospital in trucks that contained the bodies of the dead, but only the most seriously injured— I only had two gunshot wounds. We were sent to the prison hospital. When I went to the prison hospital, I was beaten the whole way there, beaten the whole way back. Many reports of the Attica uprising note how in the immediate aftermath, life had returned to normal. Echoing the words of Richard X. Clark and considering the growing prison population from 300,000 in 1971 to 2 million in 2018, we tend to disagree. The prisons of today are worse than Attica could have ever imagined. Racist regime, ice despair, just like Attica, is ahead of us. But the more we do, the harder it gets for them to stop us. The Attica Liberation Front stands as a lesson to everybody fighting for liberation everywhere. Attica is in front of us, and we have to stand behind it. In the spirit of great songs from 1971's Billboard Top 40 charts...
This has been KiteLine. After a brief hiatus, we're happy to report that our prisoner call-in phone line is back. Folks on the inside or their outside friends and supporters can call 765-343-6236 to record a message to be played on the air. Please share this number widely and we'll try to answer and air all messages possible. Again, that's 765-343-6236. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Thank you for listening. I tell you like it is.